0: Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Teneri. In this episode, we discuss the Persian and Peloponnesian Wars that will make and break Greece. So we start with the Persian War. Persian Wars. Persian Wars are a series of wars between the Empire of Persia, that, the giant big red thing on the map, if you are looking at the video. Otherwise, the entire Persian Empire basically All the Middle East, Asia Minor, Egypt, Persia, much of Central Asia, and India versus 13 little dinky cities in Greece. That. And those 13 dinky little cities in Greece, one. Why? How? Well, that is a great question because that is the first question of history. That is the question Herodotus asks in order to invent history. Why did the Greeks win? And his answer, his thesis, his answer is, because the Greeks are free and the Persians, and the Persian Empire is not. And so to do that took him 900 pages to answer that question. This is why history is not names and dates. It is not what happened. Herodotus says right from the beginning, I have a reason for this happening, and I'm going to explain it to you. So what does he have to do? He has to say, one, that the he has to prove that the Greeks are free, the Persians are not free, that the Greeks' freedom matter, that freedom matters in war, and that Greek freedom mattered in this particular war, or series of wars. And so... That took 900 pages to do. And that's that's history, not just a chronicle of what happened. People have been doing that for as long as people have been writing anything down, saying, hey, guess what I did today? Those are chronicles. Those don't have any analysis to them. They're just a list of things that someone does. History asks a question, then tries to answer it the Peloponnesian War is where the Greeks fought themselves where Athens and its allies or its empire it's it's a little dubious about how many allies Athens actually has versus its enemies the what they called the Peloponnesians basically Athens versus Sparta Athens and its friends versus Sparta and its friends and that's going to be a big war that's going to go for 30 years. Even though there's a, a period of peace in the middle, it's going to go for some 30 years. And it's going to destroy an independent Greek world. So, what we start with is Persia versus the Greeks and Athens versus Sparta. So, what we see already is a dichotomy. In the Persian Wars, it's Persia, a foreigner, An Asiatic power, someone from the Middle East, someone from Asia, invading or fighting with the Greeks, a European people. The Peloponnesian War is Athens versus Sparta. It is Greeks versus Greeks. Big battles. The Battle of Marathon. The Battle of Salamis. Athens wins. The Athenians win. At the Battle of Marathon, on the beaches of Marathon, the Athenians charged a beach in their phalanx and swept the Persian invading force into the sea. At the Battle of Salamis, which is a naval battle, the Athenian navy and its allies, and the Peloponnesian allies, but it's really the Athenian navy, uh, leads the Persian navy into a trap and then smashes it. They're Athenian wins. And Athens is not, in either case, that important yet. Now, Athens will become the, the center, the capital of Greece, or the center of Greece, or the most important city in Greece. It will become the Athens you know. But at this point, it's not. It's, a, it's, it's third, fourth, fifth city of Greece. But these are huge Athenian victories. In the Peloponnesian War, though, we see huge Athenian defeats. The Battle of Delium. The Battle for Sicily. The Battle of Delium is where Athens tried to knock out Thebes, a, a, an ally of Sparta, and lost and got crushed. Socrates almost gets killed in this battle. It is a bloody defeat. It's the type of battle that if you had been there, it's, 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 it's like Guadalcanal to Marines. If you have been there and you survived it, You don't have to explain yourself to anybody ever again. You just say, yeah, I I was at Delium. And people know what that meant. Just like Marathon. The people who who won at Marathon were called the Marathonicoi. The ones at Marathon. The victors at Marathon. While the, the ones who survived Delium were the survivors of Delium. The Battle of Sicily is as traumatic the Athenians attempted to knock out the food supply for Sparta and its friends by attacking the cities of Sicily it got sucked into a war uh there were there are many cities in Sicily they were fighting each other they had their own wars going on some of them called up um Athens and said hey if you help you'll have control of all the food Sicily produces, which was like half the food the Peloponnesians made. Um, Remember, Greece is in the mountains. 90% of the land is useless for farming. So the colonies provide a lot of food. Athenian colonies are up in the Black Sea. Um, The Spartan and Peloponnesian food came from Sicily and southern Italy. And so the Athenians attack Sicily with their ships and, and their marines in order to um, starve the Spartans and win the war without having to fight the Spartan army. It turned into a huge defeat. The Allies sucked. Allies always promise. Allies are always promising when you show up, there'll be parades. We have plenty of food. We have plenty of allies. They're just waiting for you to come. Uh, Iraq in 2003, same thing. Vietnam, 1965, same thing. If you show up, Lots of people will help you. It turned out not to be true. It's never true. Allies always overemphasize their power and their ability to help you. The second thing that happened, and may have been even worse than than crappy allies, was awful leadership. Terrible leadership. There were generals who 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 fought battles based on the alignment of the stars and the and the phase of the moon. I mean, it was just it's an Utter disaster. It's it's one of the saddest things in Thucydides. Now Herodotus is the historian of the Persian and Greek war. Thucydides is the historian of the Peloponnesian war, and there are few things in all of history sadder than the description of what happens to these men after their defeat at at Syracuse. Where they're 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 starving, they're they're they don't have enough drink, they don't have enough water, and so they're dehydrated, and so they 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 try to drink out of bloody streams, and are being stabbed by their enemies while they're trying to drink. It's it's a, Sicily is such a terrible defeat that Euripides will write Lysistrata, the first great anti-war play or work of art that we know of, where the women of Greece band together to stop the men from fighting the Peloponnesian War. And for the Athenian women, the thing they cite is Sicily, the destruction of the men at Sicily. So what do we get from the Persian Wars? We get a strong Athens, the Athenian Empire, democracy, trade, and culture. Athens is strong. Now, the Athenians are not nice. We like the Athenians. I like the Athenians. I'm a Democrat. I grew up in the Western tradition. We like the Athenians, but the Athenians are not nice. They are the mafia because they took their ships and they went to small cities and he said, hey, we will protect you from the Persians. And people said, that's great. You beat the Persians. That's great. And the Athenians say, great, give us some money. And people said, great, no problem. And everyone was happy. That's insurance. But what happened was the Persians didn't come back. The Persians didn't attack Greeks again. And so what these little cities did was go to Athens and say, you know what? I'm glad we had our insurance, but I don't need to pay it anymore. How about I stop paying? And Athens said, Yeah, um, see, I got to tell you something. You were under the impression you were paying for protection from Persia. It turns out you're paying for protection from us. Now, if you don't want to pay, that's your decision but then we'll show up with our Navy and our Marines and, you know, we'll make you pay. And that's the Athenian Empire. The Mafia, where it went to weaker cities and said, you will pay protection. You could be a friend of ours or you could pay protection. You have a choice. So we get a strong athens acting like the mafia abroad but at home we get democracy in athens we get democracy we get true real democracy not what people not what Americans think is democracy not what they that what they think rome had real democracy where the, the assembly voted its own future where the People gathered, 2, 3, 4,000 people gathered, and they decided what the policies would be, what their decisions would be, what the actions would be. Are they going to war? We'll vote. And then those men went to war. They didn't vote for other people to go to war. We have real democracy. And the f- reason why is that the Athenian navy was so large and needed so many people it required some 60,000 men per year to be in it those 60,000 men had to be paid because they couldn't be farmers they had to be in the Na- they had to be in the navy so what you ended up with in september when guys came back to athens and got off the boat was young men who had been rowing for four to six months rowing 8 hours a day 7 days a week young men who have been rowing for f- 4 to 6 months with money in their pocket we have ripped strong young men who can't be told they will be ignored it's just not going to happen and so they demand rights and no one can argue with that you you need them they're in the navy they're too young they're too fit they're too strong physically but also as a group, and now they have money in their pocket. So they're not poor either. You can't deny these people rights. And so you get democracy. Aristotle, a hundred and hundred years later, hundred and fifty years later, will will in his politics, in his book The Politics, will talk about how navies create democracies how how your government is based upon the type of army you have chariots you get kings because you need so much money to create the chariots and the horses that only kings can can do that whereas the navy anybody can row and since anybody can row and ships need so many people the poor people have to be employed and since poor people have to be employed they're going to want rights and that's a democracy Government of the people, by the people, where the people decide. There is no leader of the democracy. The assembly is a leader. They'll choose a facilitator. Now, that guy can be Pericles, who will become a leader, but only as long as he's able, through charisma and, and, and authority, to maintain that. Pericles had to be re-elected every year. And the assembly could have at any point said, yeah, you know what, Pericles, we don't want you anymore. And that would have changed everything. They would have changed leaders. No man was bigger than the group in a democracy. The third thing is trade. The Athenian navy brings in, when it's not at war, brings in money, facilitates trade, defends, beats off pirates, defends shipping, you get trade. All that empire, all of those people are going to buy Athenian goods. And going to sell their goods to Athens. Athens becomes the New York, the London, the entrepot, the the economic center of the Greek world. And because it becomes the economic center, it becomes the cultural center. With money comes leisure, leisure time. People have time off. And so what do they do? They invest it in themselves. They buy culture, knowledge, education. They send their kids to school. They go to plays. People write plays. Why do they write plays? Because now there are people who have money who can who can pay the fee to be in the audience. So we get culture, and we get an explosion of culture after the Persian Wars. This is the go- This is the golden age. This is the Athenian golden age. This is the classical period of Athens. When you think of Athens, this is the period right here, from 480 to like 400, 404. But really, to like 4:25, when, when about the time Pericles dies, that's the time. When you think of Athens, the thing you want to go see in Athens, all those statues, all those, that this is the time. But it is also a time of empire. It is a time when the Athenians beat other people up and took their stuff. So they do get wealthy on other people. That's not to be forgotten. But they do invent, they create philosophy, uh, drama. Or they don't invent these things, but they perfect them in the Athenian model. Uh, Pericles says Athens is the school of Greece. It's teaching Greeks how to be Greek. And that's in this time period. That's now. This combination of empire, democracy, trade, and culture means that all of this stuff is fermenting in people. And it's open because of democracy to anybody. It's not just the wealthy. It's not just the nobles. It's open to anybody. The Peloponnesian War, on the other hand, is about the end of Athens. As a military and an economic power. Athens becomes a university city. Athens will lose the Peloponnesian War in 404. It's In 410, 411, after the defeat in Sicily, Persia enters the war. Now, Persia doesn't enter the war with armies, but what Persia basically does is write a blank check to Sparta. The Spartans go to the the enemy, go to Persia, and say, we need to build a navy to defeat Athens. If we don't have a navy, we can never defeat Athens. And we don't know how to build a navy. We're Spartans. We fight on land. And the Persians said, we know how to build a navy. We have great navies. The Phoenicians, awesome navy. Best in the world. As good as, if not better than the Athenians. So we could teach you. And the Spartans say, well, we need lots of wood. And they go, we have plenty of wood. We need money, loans to fund all these, fund all the, the rowers. And the Persians say, yeah, no problem. We'll give you it all. Athens beat us. Athens humiliated us. Athens took land away from us. We're happy to help you. And so from 410 to 404 is a bloodbath in the Aegean. A-E-G-A-N. The Aegean Sea, where, where Athens got its food from, where the Athenian Empire is. The Aegean is. If you if you're watching the video, it's the map it's the blue part in the center where all the yellow is on the on the outside of it that's the the home base for the athenians and it's a bloodbath because the athenians can't let the spartans rule the seas if they rule the seas athens starves war is over so they have to fight on every island they have to fight in every naval battle they have to fight and they'll sink a spartan they'll sink the peloponnesian fleet and then the peloponnesians with the Backing from Persia, we'll just build another one. And the Athenians will sink that one. And they'll sink another one. And they'll sink a third. But it doesn't matter because the Spartans using Persia can always raise another fleet. They can always find more men. But the Athenians are running out of them. Because in every battle, they lose two ships, five ships, three ships. But every time they lose that, that's 600 men who are dead. That's 500 men, Athenian men, who are experienced rowers. They're losing that quality, that qualitative advantage. And all it would take was one naval battle, one naval defeat, and Athens would lose the war. And that's what happened in 404. There's a naval battle, Athens loses, and a Spartan admiral, which itself is an insane concept, but a Spartan admiral at the head of a Persian-built fleet sailed into Athens. And exterminated the only democracy the world has ever known. Athens becomes a university city. From this point on, it's no longer a major economic military power. It's for all intents and purposes a university city. And we'll get philosophy. Philosophy is the big invention of the Athenian university city. Because we're gonna get Pla- we're gonna get Socrates, then we're gonna get Plato, and then we're gonna get Aristotle. For a hundred years, the great thinkers of Greece are going to be in Athens. So Athenian cultural power matters, continues, even if their economic and military power wanes. What happens in Greece? Is it peace? Sparta wins? No. Because the moment Sparta wins, people look at Sparta and say, yeah, we don't want you in control of Greece either and that's Thebes, and later on that's Macedon. And so what we have is a loss of independence. People didn't like Athens running the show, but they didn't want anyone else to run the show either. And so no matter who it was, Sparta, Sparta will be destroyed in 375 BC, 25 years later by the Thebans. The Thebans run the show for 25 years, and then Philip II of Macedon comes rolling in, in a blitter and blitter and defeats Thebes in a battle, and After Philip II is is assassinated, his son, Alexander, becomes king of Macedon, and Thebes revolts, and he rolls in and obliterates Thebes, so that Thebes ceases to exist on the map. Greece loses its independence. It's conquered by Macedon. So, the infighting, the Athens versus Sparta versus Thebes versus Macedon, led Not to a Greek kingdom, not to a a, a, a Greek country or empire like Rome will do in Italy. But instead it led to a foreigner, the Macedonians, who are not, who are like Greek cousins, but not Greek Greek. Conquering Greece, uniting Macedonia and Greece together and becoming something new. And Greece will not be independent again until 1821 A.D. When they finally break free of the Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire. Greece will be part of the Macedonian Empire, then the Roman Empire, then the Byzantine Empire. Where it's very important. It's the major part of the empire. It's a major part of of the Roman Empire. But it's not independent. It's run by somebody else. And then it will be controlled by the Ottomans from 1453 or so to 1821. So what did we learn? From the Persian Wars, we learn the Greeks can defeat non-Greeks. That's huge because the Greeks are nobody. They're a bunch of hillbillies out on the edge of the world. They're not Egyptian. They're not Babylonian. They're not Persian. They're not rich and awesome like these other people are. And yet they won. Two is the phalanx becomes the best military unit. In fact, the Persians will start hiring Greeks to fight in their army as mercenaries. When Alexander it was a Greek joke, when Alexander invaded Persia, there were actually more Greeks fighting in the Persian army than in the Macedonian army. Because remember, the Macedonians don't count as Greek, they're Macedonians. So there were more Greeks fighting against Alexander than for him. So the phalanx replaces the chariots, replaces the cavalry of Mesopotamia as the great military unit that you need to conquer the world. And Alexander will take that plus his cavalry and horses and conquer the world. And what, this, what the Persian War showed is military victory equals a cultural confidence. The, the Greek Golden Age happens after the Persian Wars. We see this in the art. We see this in the plays from Aeschylus's, the Persians, to Herodotus talking about how free the Greeks are and how awesome they are and how brave they are. We see this in what the cultural creation is. It's like America in the 1950s. You can do anything. You can go anywhere. We defeated the Nazis and America defeated the Japanese military government. And we saved the world for democracy boom, we can do anything. To be an American in 1955 was to be an Athenian in 465, 475. To know you are awesome. You can do anything. And that not only is your army awesome, but your culture is awesome. Your beliefs are awesome. Your values are awesome. What the Peloponnesian War teaches us is only Greeks can destroy Greek civilization. The Persians couldn't do it. Egyptians couldn't do it. Only Greeks can do it. And the Greeks will burn down lots of cities during the Peloponnesian War. Two is democracy is a great government, but rich elites hate it. The elite people will always hate democracy because elites want to be in charge. They feel they deserve to be in charge. That's natural for them to be in charge. And that people are idiots. And that if you let a bunch of people make a a decision, you'll have idiots running the the asylum. Idiots will make stupid choices. And so, anti-democracy. While we're pro-democracy, the ancient world was anti-democracy. You can motivate people by being against democracy because democracy was radical liberal new crazy it was unnatural remember when we did the code of hammurabi and the rich people are treated better than poor people and everyone thought well yeah that's the way it's supposed to be nobility is noble citizens or citizens slaves suck they they're slaves And that was the natural way of things. And that's 2,000 years. By the time we get to the Greeks, that's 2,000 years. And suddenly democracy comes along and says, everybody's equal. Everybody's the same. Everyone's vote counts the same. That's an insane concept. If you have grown up thinking you are better by birth than other people. Now, what's what's also interesting is Athenian elites bought into it. Athenian elites, for the most part, are cool with this. They agree with it. They sacrifice some of their natural power and they look at what they gain. They gained the Navy. They gained an empire. They gained all this culture. They gained peace because most other cities will have civil wars, revolutions, where the poor people say, no, we want freedom. And the rich people say, no, you can't have it. Well, you're going to have a fight. Where in Athens, you had peace. Everybody working together. Where everyone sacrificed for the survival of the state. Rich people bought the ships that poor people rode. Even though it cost them money in taxes, in donations, and in political power. That's the interesting thing. In the Greek world, democracy is hated, but in Athens... Yeah, there are people who dislike it, but for the most part, it works for a hundred years. And it couldn't work if the elites don't buy into it. And finally, what the Peloponnesian War proves is that cultural strength is more lasting than military strength, political strength. Sparta will be destroyed in 375. Uh, Thebes will be destroyed in 330 or so. When, when Alexander's 18 through 40, um, and they don't matter. Athens matters. Athens will be, uh, Churchill is supposed to have said that Britain must become the Athens to America's Rome. That Roman culture will absorb first the Etruscans, but then the Greeks. And when they absorb Greek culture, they're really absorbing Athenian culture. Homer's Iliad will become Virgil's Aeneid. Poetry, even the idea of democracy, will spread. Philosophy becomes the science of the age. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. And so cultural strength turned out to be much more important than military power. You couldn't have known that, but it did. In our next episode, we talk about philosophy. Thank you.